You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. We are delighted today to have with us Dr. Brian Combs. Dr. Combs is an assistant professor at UAB School of Nursing. He is also a family nurse practitioner with a specialty in orthopedics. He is also the director of Nurse Practitioner Pathways. His clinical background includes sports medicine, as well as orthopedics, as an athletic trainer, registered nurse, as well as a nurse practitioner. Welcome, Dr. Combs. We're happy to have you. Thank you uh, very much for having me. I look forward to it. Thank you. Well, we want to go ahead and start our conversation today. You know, you hear the term orthopedics. Several people have several different meanings of what that term means. So I think we should probably start the conversation today with just kind of describing what is orthopedics? What does that mean? Orthopedics is an umbrella for if you think of any injury or condition related to the musculoskeletal system. So injuries or conditions for muscles, tendons, ligaments, and bone. That's kind of the easiest way I can explain it. Okay, so anything musculoskeletal is considered orthopedics. Okay, thank you. So I know you have a wide background in orthopedics, but today we're going to be focusing on sports injuries. So following the same path, can you describe what sports injuries would include? Now, this one, you may get different answers depending on who you ask. If you have kids who play sports, then you're going to think of high school sports and and college sports and the athletes we see on TV. Um, but really sports injuries can be any injury related to an activity or sport related activity. It could be me who goes out and plays basketball one weekend because I think I'm 21 still and I end up injuring myself. I mean, a sports injury can be any injury related to some sort of physical activity or sport. Okay. Okay. You sound a lot like me with the weekend warrior kind of attitude. <laughs> so when someone has a sports injury, What's the first thing they should do? Well, I would tell everybody, whether you're a, a parent, um, non-healthcare provider, or, or even a nurse or nurse practitioner, the first thing in orthopedics with any type of injury per se is going to be something called RICE. Um, it's you always want to do rest, ice, compression, elevation. Those are kind of the four key steps. If you do that first with any type of orthopedic injury, you're probably going to be doing the right thing. Um, Because you want to do everything you can to kind of prevent swelling from building up and to um, kind of splint and rest that area and let it kind of calm down. Okay. So something cold versus something heat. I know a lot of people oftentimes think, you know, heat will work, especially with back injuries, but we should proceed with something cold first. Yeah, people feel better with heat, so they, they would rather have a hot pack on than they would ice. And ice isn't definitely, it's definitely not comfortable. Um, but during the first uh, 72 hours, the body's in an inflammatory response, so it's pushing fluid into that area. And we want to do everything we can to decrease that as much as possible. So ice is always going to kind of be the key. And when you think of orthopedics in general or sports medicine in general, ice is usually going to be the right answer. After any heavy activity or strenuous activity, you would rather put ice on something than heat because you wanted to get to calm down. You want to prevent that kind of inflammatory response. Okay. Okay. So if someone wanted to transport their child or perhaps an adult um, to their provider to be seen after a sports injury, how would you tell them to transport their child or another adult? Really kind of depends on the person um, and the type of injury. And what I mean by that is if it's an upper extremity injury, transporting is going to be fairly easy because they can splint their own arm and they can get around mobile because it's not a lower body injury. 
Now, if it does end up being a lower body injury, that's kind of a different conversation. If someone can put slight weight on something, it's probably okay to do so. Um, but if, if they can't put weight on an injury, they can't put weight on the ankle, then um, they need to stay off of it. Um, maybe you have to assist them to get to a car. Maybe two people have to do kind of like a fireman's carry. I've seen that done sometimes. Um, and when you get to a vehicle, you want to get in and out as comfortably as possible without aggravating the area. And for the lower body, I see a lot of times when people are trying to get in and out of a car, they instinctually go to the front seat because we always sit in the front passenger seat. But if you've got a lower body injury, it's much easier to get in the back seat because you can open up the back seat. You can have someone just backs up. They, they um, sit there sit their butt on the, on the end of the um, bench in the back seat if you can get to it. And then someone holds their leg up while they just slide back in there. Whenever you're trying to get into a front seat, you, you inevitably have to lift and move and bend your knee and stuff like that. You can't always do that straight leg. Right, right. Is it always important to go the first day of the injury? I know personally, sometimes if it's not swollen, I may wait a day or so. so what is your suggestion related to being seen the first day of the injury or waiting a while to be seen? I would say a lot of times you probably can wait a day or two, um, but when making that decision, I think it comes down to your comfort, um, how much you know about it, uh, what, what your kids, how you understand how they have, um, how they experience pain and, and their pain level. Um, but if you're at all uncomfortable with something and it doesn't feel right in your gut, and like if it's a lower extremity, they can't put any weight on their leg or they can't um, do anything with their upper extremity and their pain scale is really, really high, you're probably better off to go. You would rather go than to miss something. So I think it's, it's you probably don't have to, um, but if it's, if it's really, really painful, pain scale's really high, you can't put any weight on it, you can't use it at all, then you would, you would rather be safe than sorry um, or miss something. But a lot of times in orthopedics, it can wait a day. So like, kind of like you said, it just kind of depends on how, how the person feels. If it's not that swollen, they can put some weight on it. Well, then, you know, give it a day and just see. But um, I think that everybody has different information, different knowledge, and it's how much you're experienced and how much you know. So if it doesn't feel right, then I would go see. So when in doubt, you should go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it always. And it doesn't have to be an ER either. I want to say that. It doesn't okay. have to be an ER. It can be a primary care perfect. provider, it can be an urgent care. It can be somewhere where you can be seen. It definitely don't just go to the ER. You don't need to do that. Um, but you just want to make sure someone's looking at it that, that has more knowledge than you if you're not a healthcare provider. Okay, that, that was my next comment about whether or not you should be seen by your primary care provider, an ER, or should you go try to see a specialist right away? But it really depends on the injury and your comfort level. Yeah, I, the, the only thing I would say is if you have someone who has an injury and um, there are kind of a couple things is if they can't put any weight on it. But if you notice, like if they injure their knee and the um, their lower leg or their foot is really, really cold, it's much colder than the other foot or they can't have any feeling or they're having sensation problems, stuff like that, you may end up going to an ER. But as long as you get in to see somebody when you're concerned or you think there's an issue, even if they then have to send you to the ER, at least you're getting someone to take a look at it if it's not something you're comfortable with making a judgment on. Okay, excellent point. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, when we think about sports injuries, we think about, you know, types of assessments that needs to be done. Is there any initial assessment pieces that would be important, like immediately following a sports injury? So for anyone who's going to be assessing a sports injury, there's usually an acronym, kind of like what we mentioned with Rice earlier, um, but it's called HOPE. It's H-O-P-E. You're going to do a history, a really good history, observation, 
how the patient got into the room, how are they walking, how are they standing and presenting. Um, the physical assessment, the test that you're going to be doing, depending on the area. And then obviously you're going to have your evaluation at the end. To me, I think two of the most important ones are going to be the history and that physical exam part. Because in orthopedics, it is one of those things that if you can get a really good history and, and get a good what's called mechanism of injury, what did they do and exactly how did it happen? A lot of times you can have a, a really high chance of knowing what's going on just based on that. Because if an injury if a, if a joint goes a certain direction, well, then I know what structures are on the other side of that are going to be stressed. So history is really, really important. Um, and then kind of the physical exam part. Okay. What about x-rays? Because, you know, when you get a sports injury, injury or bone or muscle, you always think I should probably get an x-ray because it can't be seen. Is that true or is that a recommendation? Well, or you'll see it done differently everywhere. Um, some places you go and you may always get an x-ray every time you go. Some may not. Uh, the, the, the easiest way to explain it is that literally every joint in the body has different recommendations on when you should and shouldn't get x-rays. Uh, and it can, it can be pretty complex as far as deciding, um, unless you know all the recommendations, when you do and when you don't need them. I think a lot of times the x-rays are beneficial for someone who may not be a um, expert in orthopedics, but they're a primary care provider. Sometimes the x-rays will be, well, at least I don't miss a fracture if it happened to have been there. But the, there's no easy way to say, but you don't always have to have one. And each area typically has a, um, a recommendation for when you need to order them. Um, but I know for a lot of families and stuff, the, there is a comfort in getting it because um, you at least know there's no um, bony injury. However, you know, there's a lot of other structures in orthopedics that you have to worry about, too. Okay. Okay. So given that, you know, football season just started, basketball will be approaching soon, some are wrapping up baseball, what are some different types of sports injuries that are fairly common? I would say that some of the most common ones are um, uh, ankle sprains in general are really, really common. Uh, mm -hmm. Injuries to the knee, um, things like um, ACL tears or meniscus injuries are fairly common. Shoulder injuries, whether it's something like an impingement or a rotator cuff or things you see a lot. And in baseball specifically, there's an elbow injury. That's a UCL tear. People think of it when they hear about Tommy John surgery. Um, those are those are pretty common as well. And, and in sports medicine, while it's not neurology, I do get a lot of questions about concussions as well. Because that does happen in high school, college athletes. Mm -hmm. So talking a little bit more about ankle sprains, what is your typical assessment, um, diagnosis criteria for ankle sprains? Well, what you're going to, when you think about an ankle sprain, 95% of all ankle sprains injure the ligaments and the structures on the outside of the ankle. So if you see this picture here, that's the ligaments and that's the outside. Um, and there's three ligaments out there. There's one in the front, one in the middle, one in the back. No one really needs to know the names right now, but they typically get injured from front to back. And it's, it's about 92 to 95% of all ankle sprains injure those ligaments because it's really easy to roll your foot. Um, as far as making an assessment for this, one of the I, really the mechanism of injury, that history part for this person is going to be the most important because someone can tell me, well, I was out walking my dog and, and we went for a little jog and he went to the street and my foot rolled off the, the um, curb or I stepped on something in the house and my foot rolled or an athlete saying, well, I was running and I planted and my ankle rolled out. Well, that's pretty easy. You almost have an idea that you almost know that's definitely what it's going to be. So the history is really important. But the other part is going to be the um, point tenderness. Because ligaments are on the outside, if I get that history, 
I'm going to poke on the ankle a little bit. And if I find they're tender on the lateral side, right below the bone, then it's probably going to be that. And there is one special test that you do for the ankle for practitioners is something called an anterior drawer test. And you hear about that test in both um, the knee and the ankle, but it's called an anterior drawer. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to grab the foot and I'm stabilizing the shin and I'm pulling the heel and the foot forward. And I'm trying to see if that ligament's loose. And I'll do this both sides to see if the injured side is worse than the, um, or, or looser um, than the, uh, the non-injured side. So to see if there's been some sort of change in integrity of that ligament, because if the ligament's torn, the joint's going to shift a little bit more because it doesn't have that stability. Right, right, right. So are there any specific treatment plans for an ankle sprain? I know that's a fairly common injury that we see in the ER and urgent care, as well as primary care. Um, many times it's non-surgical. Uh, it's something that you have to stabilize, depending on the severity of it, uh, whether it's a grade one, grade two, or grade three, that's just kind of the leveling to let you know how bad the injury was. It's a little bit different, but the key that I would tell people, um, whether for anyone, whether they're a parent or a practitioner or whatnot, with the ankle, there's one important thing to remember as part of the rehab is first thing you want to do is get the swelling down. Okay. The second thing you want to do is get the range of motion back in the ankle. And then, then you start working into strength. Well, one thing with the ankle specifically that people kind of forget about from time to time is that balancing part. And a lot of us know, you probably know someone, they're 30, 40 years old and they'll roll their ankle when you're out running and they go, Oh, it happens to me two or three times a year. I just have to stay off of it a few days and it's usually okay. Well, a lot of people who have that kind of injury, they had an ankle, a really bad ankle injury probably when they were younger, but they didn't work on their balance. And it's something called proprioception. So um, when people rehab from an ankle injury, working on strength is great, getting range of motion back is great, but they need to work on that balance. And it's the easiest way I can say, like if you, if you take a cat and you flip them upside down, well, they land on their feet. Okay, that's, that's called proprioception. But with, our ankles are the same way unconsciously when our ankle starts to roll a little bit, we have these proprioceptors that pull us back straight up. Well, once you've injured your ankle, you lose that. And it just makes you more prone to that injury. So with the ankle, the thing I try to educate a lot on is making sure you do all of your rehab, but make sure you work on balancing, whether it's one leg balance, one leg squat, stuff to try to increase that balance, and that proprioception of the ankle. Okay. I would think that would be really important when walking upstairs or trying to walk up steps. Is that the case oh yeah any anything where you're going to have to you're going to have to have that stability walking up and down steps if you go hiking a lot if you are a high school or college athlete where you're going to continue to play um things of that nature anything that you may be if you work in an area that's in a um where the surface isn't flat and you have a lot of step up step downs or uneven surfaces any kind of balancing issue could be it could be an issue okay thank you as a practitioner, I think knee injuries is probably the next common sports injury that I tend to see. Yeah. Is there any special assessment or diagnostic test for knee injuries? Well, the, the biggest thing, again, is that history part. Um, and with knee injuries, I kind of mentioned the ACL tears, and the meniscal tears. The first thing you want to see is when it happened, when they had that injury. The ACL is in the middle of the knee and it prevents the femur on top of the tibia from shifting forward and backwards. And so when it's working like that, when you have that shifting, it's preventing that shift. So if someone injures their ACL 
in that history part, they're usually going to say something like, while I was running, I stepped in a hole or um, my, my leg planted and I felt a pop. And they'll, they'll hear and feel a pop and oftentimes even hear a pop when that ACL tears. The other thing is they're usually going to have complaints that their knee shifts on them. They're kind of, they feel unstable. Uh, at times, um, they feel their knee kind of shift or give way. So I'm automatically thinking about an ACL injury for that. So that history is really hard. The special test that I'm going to do is called the anterior drawer. Actually, just the same name as the one for the ankle, but it's called a, um, an anterior drawer test. And what I have them do is you have the patient lie down and they have their, um, their knee kind of at 90 degrees. And you can kind of see in this picture here, I'm sitting on their foot to stabilize their foot and I'm grabbing the tibia and I'm pulling the tibia up towards me. And I'm just trying to see if it shifts. I'm trying to see if it shifts further than the uninjured side on this patient. And if it does, that's going to help tell me if there was an ACL tear. So this is kind of one of the standard tests you're going to do. There's also another test for practitioners who work in orthopedics called a Lachman's test. I put it in here because if you do, if you are a practitioner, you're probably going to see it. But a Lachman's test is I'm still testing the same ligament, but I have to use both the hands. And this is a harder test to do if you don't do it a lot. So typically for people who may not do a lot of orthopedic assessments, I typically recommend the anterior drawer. But this one is a very good test as well. It's just a little harder because you have to have one hand on top of the knee and one hand below. And if you have smaller hands and you've got a bigger person sitting there, it can be a little more difficult. Okay. Are there any specific treatments for knee injuries? I know a lot of well, times. Yeah, somebody has an ACL tear. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. So, yeah, if someone has an ACL tear or you suspect an ACL tear, um, they need to see a specialist. It doesn't have to be the same day. It can be an orthopedic appointment in a week or two. Um, but until they go see that specialist, you want to make sure that you're keeping that leg straight and that there's no shifting going on. Because if I have the knees shift and they kind of the bones are twisting together, you can end up tearing up other structures. So usually if you think somebody has an ACL tear, they go on crutches and they have a straight leg brace or some straight leg immobilizer. That way they can't walk and bend their knee. And they're typically with them fairly, um, fairly off of it as much as you can. Then they'll go see the provider within within a few days or so, because with an ACL tear, a lot of times if it is surgical, um, then a lot of times they wait for surgery for a few weeks anyway to get as much swelling out and much range of motion out before you even do the surgery because you'll come out of it after um, better. If you think somebody has an ACL, then straight leg immobilizer um, and then get them to a specialist. Okay. What about ACE wraps? Because ACE wraps tends to be my go-to with any type of sports injury. Is that okay? Oh, for ACE wraps are great because that's, that's that compression part. Anything that you can do for compression is great. And ACE wraps are great because you can get, they have the different sizes. So you're always going to be good using an ACE wrap. Um, you just want to make sure that you got it on. And the biggest thing I'll tell everybody for parents and, and, and practitioners, when you put on an ACE wrap, the biggest thing to remember is always start distal and move to the body. Meaning, if I'm working with my knee, I'm going to start on the shin and I'm going to wrap it up to the thigh. If it's on the elbow, I'm going to start in the, the forearm and I'm going to work up the arm because I want to push and squeeze the swelling towards the body. Okay. Great point. Great point. What about crutches? Because oftentimes families will ask and request for crutches, especially with those knee injuries. If, if I don't think it's an ACL tear, um, then my rule for crutches are, and this kind of goes the same way with the ankle. If a person can't walk without a limp, then I'll put them on crutches. But even with the crutches, I want them putting a little bit of weight on it. 
so that they can still walk as normal as possible. And if they can't do that, then they then they can walk without it. The one problem is if somebody comes reliant on crutches too much, um, then they're going to lose that motion. And the more motion you lose, it's just going to slow you down in that recovery process. Okay. Great information. Great information. So moving on to shoulders, because that's probably mm -hmm. the next thing that I tend to see. Any special assessments or diagnostic tests that need to be done for sh shoulder injuries? The shoulders are a little bit different because in the shoulder, you don't have as many ligaments like you do in the knee where you're testing stability of the ligaments. The shoulder is a very muscular um, joint, a very muscular um, uh, part of the body. And um, with that, you have what's called the rotator cuff and you have some different bony areas. So you're going to look for an inflammation, which would be something with the impingement. And then you're going to test things for the rotator cuff. Um, for the anatomy of the shoulder, you have the humerus and you've got the glenoid and you've got the AC joint kind of on the top. And there's what I call the AC joints called the, I call it kind of the roof of the shoulder. So one thing you see a lot of times is something called impingement. Impingement is just inflammation in the rotator cuff at the top. Okay. It's just inflammation where when someone raises their arm up, it gets pinched. And there's a couple of, a couple of tests that you can do with that. I think we have some slides. We may have to run through a couple. Um, but there's one test that you'll do where it's called Hawkins. Um, it's called, yeah, here we go. Yes. Um, rotator cuff tears. Uh, for some reason I have a weird overlay there. Um, so, one test you'll do is an impingement test. You have them bring their arm up to the side. And as a practitioner, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to twist and rotate the arm down this way. And when I do that, I'm trying to see if it causes pain because they're going to be perfectly relaxed when I do this test. Um, and because of that, the, um, uh, then I have an idea that it's an impingement. But when you do a shoulder, uh, assess the shoulder, you're always, regardless of the problem, you're always going to assess the same way. It's all this manual muscle testing. You don't have ligament stress tests. You're testing the muscles. So I'm putting their arms out to the side. I'm testing all areas of the, um, of the rotator cuff. I'm going to do the, I'm going to bring their arm down to see if the, they have an impingement problem. Um, one of the, the rotator cuff tears and one of the tests you do for the manual muscle testing is called an empty can test. So I'll have them out to the side. I bring them in 45 degrees. I have them act like they're emptying or pouring out a can. And um, I'm just having them hold their arm up. I'm trying to press them down and see if it hurts. Because I'm, if it's me, if them resisting me, that's testing the rotator cuff. If they're relaxed and I'm twisting the arm, then that's testing the, show, the for like an impingement problem or a, um, uh, a labral problem. Okay, okay. Any specific treatments shoulder injuries before being seen if you needed to be seen by a specialist is there anything you should do i know it's kind of an odd position to have to put an ace wrap on but is there anything else that can be done yeah a lot of it's going to be a lot of ice for that person because you really can't do a compression wrap for them um mm -hmm. but if you think it's an impingement or you think it's a rotator cuff it doesn't have to go uh, if there's not a fracture or a dislocation then it doesn't necessarily have to go to a specialist right away it's going to be physical therapy it's going to be sending them to therapy, letting the physical therapist or the athletic trainer work with them to get the get the swelling down, to get the, the range of motion up, and then to work on the strengthening of the rotator cuff and the other um, uh, parts. Okay. okay. I've heard a lot of people mention Tommy John surgery or needing Tommy John surgery. Can you kind of expound on that a little bit? So this, this one is not as much as, as extremely common as the other things we've mentioned. 
Um, but I, when I'm talking to people who have younger kids who play baseball or play sports, I always mention this because kids today play sports year round. Baseball players, especially, they play high school, they play club, they play travel ball. And because of that, people who are pitchers or catchers, they have a higher chance of um, injuring what's called the UCL, the elbow. It's, it's the little ligament here on the inside of the elbow. Okay. And it's because when they pitch and they throw down like this, it's, it's typically in guys because underarm, you don't have this problem um, for like fast pitch softball. It's the, the overhead throwing. It stresses that ligament on the inside. And when you stress that ligament, it can, um, it can tear eventually. And that's where you have to have what's called Tommy John surgery. The reason I always mention it to people is because 20 years ago, the only people who had Tommy John surgeries were um, 25, 30 year old players in the major league baseball. But because kids are throwing so much now, you're starting to see 12, 13, 14 year olds come down with this injury. So what I always tell people is if, if you have a, a high school athlete or middle school athlete, high school athlete, college athlete, and they're a pitcher or someone who throws a ball a lot and they start having pain on the inside of their elbow, send them to an orthopedic or a sports medicine specialist. So just let them take a look at it because it could be going down the road of that condition because it is something you're starting to see a lot more now. Right, right. So we do have a question from the audience and it goes back to our conversation on shoulder injuries. Mm -hmm. Should try to fix, repair a dislocated shoulder before being seen by a primary care doctor? Like, should you try to put it back in place by a lay person? Should a lay person try to put it no, back in place? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, okay. no, you you don't, if it's not, if you're not a provider and you know how, and even if you're a provider and you don't know how to do it, you definitely don't want to do it. And think of it this way. If I have the shoulder, you have this little joint and I have this ball sitting here right on top of each other. Well, when that shoulder comes out, all right, I have to get it back in. And if you're, if you don't know, if you don't know how to distract and that kind of stuff, when it goes back in, you can tear a lot of these little portions or sides of that kind of joint area, the labrum. So you can actually sometimes cause a little more injury going back in. So if you're not someone who does and are really comfortable with dislocations, get them to someone as fast as you can and let them put it back in. But you do need to get them seen fast because the, once the, as the muscles lock down on you um, and tighten up, then because of that, they, um, uh, it can be sometimes harder to get back in. But if you don't know how to do it, don't do it. Right. Could cause more damage than yep. just leaving it. Right. Especially is in the shoulder. Any, yep. Is there any particular way to transport someone that has a dislocated shoulder? As comfortably as possible. However they want to hold their arm, however they want to relax it, um, and then just kind of move them forward and get them into the car and get the scene as kind of quick, quick as you can. Thank you. I know earlier in the conversation um, toward the intro, you mentioned concussions, and I know that probably can be a whole conversation by itself, a whole nother show. But I just mm -hmm. wondered if you could just briefly mention, I know there's a lot of controversy in the news related to, you know, should younger kids be allowed to play football because of the lifelong damage of the head injuries? Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Well, concussions are really common. And I think if I had to tell anybody, because in, anybody could be watching this, is to don't underestimate the impact concussions can have and don't um, and ha always have the best interest of whoever has the concussion. And it's not just football. Soccer has a lot of concussions because of heading the ball and jumping up and you can hit heads with other other um, other athletes. So it can happen in any sport. The biggest thing I would always stress to people is that one, if, if someone has a concussion or they sound like they have a concussion, they need to be seen by a healthcare provider as soon as they can. 
okay, um, within a day. I mean, if you, someone has a concussion, they need to be seen and kind of evaluated that day so that, so that you can be given the instructions of what you need to do over the first 24 hours and how you kind of progress that. You know, but one thing I'll tell you, and like this slide here, a sports concussion can and is many times rated as a mild traumatic brain injury. They're, they're bad injuries, and they're definitely things you want to worry about. So don't um, uh, don't necessarily just kind of push it off. Remember, it's they are they can be bad injuries. Um, they can take many times a while to recover. Uh, these people need a lot of rest. Uh, that's rest activity wise, and that's rest from school. And the one thing I'll tell parents is, if a kid has a concussion and they come in and I have to diagnose them, it's hard sometimes, but they can't play sports. They have to be fully recovered and they have to return to sports and activity in a good manner. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had someone come in with a concussion and they're the, the, the kid and even the parents sometimes like, well, well, we have a conference game on Friday or we, we got the you know first round of the, the playoffs. Well, the health of the person with the concussion should always be the main concern. You don't want to do anything to cause problems with that down the road. So that is one specific injury that should be seen anytime there's any type of head injury. I, I believe so, because you need someone to see them. And if they if you think they've had a concussion, they need to be seen. And it's hard sometimes to get athletes or, or people to do that because they're because people know now if you have a concussion, you're going to be held out. And a lot of times a concussion there are things where you don't see the symptoms unless someone's knocked out. You can't really see a, a symptom, per se. You know, if they have the headache and the blurred vision, I've got to trust they're going to tell me that. Um, so in my mind, if you're ever messing with the brain, you want to make sure they're seeing somebody so that you're not causing some problem that's going to linger on down the road. Great information. Well, it looks like we're coming toward the end of our time for our segment today. Are there any last takeaways that you can leave with our audience today? Well, just remember that with any orthopedic injury, um, make sure to do that rest, ice, compression, elevation. If you do that the first three days, you're probably going to be right. If you don't feel comfortable with it and you don't know the area very much, be more safe than, than otherwise. Get them to see somebody. And if you do have um, uh, someone with a, um, with, with a concussion, definitely get them seen and realize that their health long term is more important than the next game. And I think there's one more question from the audience. Yes, yes, we'll wait. We Looks like they're typing in. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation today on sports injuries. I myself have seen several come into the emergency department. So our question from the audience is, should you order x-rays or scans on a patient with a concussion who has a history of concussions? So a patient who comes in with a concussion who's had a previous concussion. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I, it's not typically recommended initially, and it depends on the severity of their symptoms. Um, if they if they are rating on the Glasgow Coma Scale, then yes, you're going to treat it like a mild traumatic brain injury. You probably need to send them somewhere uh, to get a CT scan, things like that. Um, it depends on uh, their symptoms. If they come in and they don't seem that bad right then, but then five, six, seven hours later, the symptoms start going downhill, they definitely need to go and get seen um, and, and get a scan, but typically you don't always have to do a, a scan initially. Uh, one thing I will say when you say it is a repeat, is it a repeat from how long ago? One of the reasons why people with concussions have to wait several days to go back is something called second impact syndrome. 
And if someone gets a concussion while still recovering from a previous concussion, they can get something called second impact and that second impact can be deadly. So if I had a person who had a concussion five days ago, they didn't listen to me, they went back to practice yesterday, got another concussion, then I would probably be more apt to send them to get seen and get a scan because it happened so close to the previous one. I hope that answered that some for you. That's very helpful, very helpful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Combs, for being with us today. This was a rich conversation on sports injuries, a lot of helpful information. And thank you all to our audience for being here today. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.